Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at the New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From The New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, In 2013, Republicans in the Senate warned Democrats they would soon regret a decision so extreme it's called going nuclear. That prediction may prove true this week, as Republicans prepare to go one step further to ensure the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. It's Tuesday, April 4th. Wow, this is like we're on a radio. This is really like being on a radio show. Hi. I know. Hi. That's what Hi. we had to do. To <laughs> Don't do to that. Talk like this. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't <laughs> ever do that. My colleagues, Jennifer Steinhauer and Jonathan Weissman. All right. Okay. okay. Ready to go? Yes. What are we talking about? Nuclear option? Going nuclear. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the filibuster yeah. and the nuclear option. Yeah. All right. So it used to be that if you wanted to hold something up in the U.S. Senate, you had one clear option, the filibuster. Jennifer, what is a filibuster? Well, I just want to say one thing. Sure. There are lots of ways to hold things up in the Senate because it's everything is a 60 vote. Everything is done by unanimous consent, right? What I'm going to do is ask unanimous consent the Senate proceed to vote in relation to the following amendments. So you can hold a lot of stuff up with just one person. But you want, but you want to talk about um, the ultimate block. I mm. think, right? The indefinite block. The indefinite block. Yes. There are a way, many ways to delay, but there is only one way to indefinitely block. But will you define, actually, will you do the definition of the filibuster? Sure. Because you actually have a better um, Senate rules definitional brain than I do. Well. The senator from Kentucky. I rise today to begin to filibuster John Brennan's nomination for the CIA. Under the Senate rules... Before a final vote on virtually anything, a nomination, a piece of legislation, before it can actually come to a final vote, you need to end debate. Mm -hmm. Madam President, I intend to speak in opposition to Obamacare until I am no longer able to stand. And under Senate rules, you need 60 votes, not 51 votes, to end debate. So a filibuster is merely a group of people uh, who will say, we are not going to end debate. Mm -hmm. And... By saying we will never vote to end debate, uh, you can either stay on whatever you're debating forever, or you can say, okay, forget it, we'll move on to something else. That is a filibuster. And I'll tell you one thing, that wild horses aren't going to drag me off this floor until those people have heard everything I've got to say, even if it takes all winter. In the old days, you had to literally go down to the Senate floor and talk. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. And talk and talk until they gave up. Driving their just powers from the consent of the government. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, 
It is the right of the people to alter or abolish. But then they changed the rules. Um, so all you had to do was show that you, in fact, have enough votes to stop uh, the vote on ending debate, and then they would just move on to the next thing. Is there objection? Reserving the right to object. I object. And that effectively kills whatever's before you. So just to be really clear, how does a filibuster change the math involved in getting something done in the Senate? Well, ordinarily, to finish something, you need a simple majority of the senators there. So if everyone's there, if all 100 senators are there, if you have 51 votes, remember Republicans right now have 52 Republicans, they can lose one Republican. Actually, they can lose two uh, because Mike Pence gets to break the tie. But Mm -hmm. as long as you have 51 votes, you're done, except you need 60 votes to end debate. And therefore, the Democrats, who have 48 members, if you include the two independents that basically joined them, as long as they hold together, there are not the votes to end debate. Effectively, the Senate must operate in a bipartisan fashion. Okay, so that brings us to this week, because this is the strategy the Democrats plan to use to block the vote on Neil Gorsuch, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee. Why? Well, do you want to talk about um, how this all started? Sure. Republicans simply don't want President Obama to make any appointments at all. Because what's happening right now is really Harry Reid's legacy. None. Zero. So in 2013, what was going on is Republicans were in the minority, and they were blocking all of Obama's nominees. Cabinet nominees have faced unprecedented obstruction and significant delays in assuming their positions. Just routinely, even kind of routine folks. Like the Secretary of Defense. A record for the Secretary of Defense. I mean, you know, yeah. Obama nominated a former Republican senator for Secretary of Defense, and, and he was being blocked. It was essentially, you know, obstructionist methods. Which makes this all very interesting because we have a role reversal here, which is not surprising when minority becomes majority. But 2013, block, 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 Harry Reid, who was then the majority leader, said, listen, I've had enough. The American people are fed up with this kind of obstruction good luck. If you don't start approving some of these nominees and stop blocking and filibustering, so to speak, then we're going to vote to change the rules. The change we propose today would ensure executive and judicial nominations an up or down vote on confirmation. Yes, no. Where I'm not going to do this to the Supreme Court, that's a bridge too far. But for the rest of Senate nominees that are Senate confirmable, we're going to lower that threshold to 51. This is called the nuclear option. This is not about Democrats versus Republicans. This is about making Washington work regardless of who's in the White House or who controls the Senate. I remember that day I was sitting in the chamber watching it. Senate Republicans have been very, very fair to this president. It was pretty much the angriest I've ever seen Mitch McConnell. Hmm. I suggest our colleagues take a time out. Stop trying to jam us. Really lost it. How many times have we been threatened, my colleagues? Do what I say, or we'll break the rules to change the rules. Confirm everybody, 100%. Anything less than that is obstructionism. That's what they're saying to effect. Let me say we're not interested in having a gun put to our head any longer. And he laid down the greatest insult of all. He told Harry Reid he was turning the Senate into the House. Whoa. So that was low blow because what makes the Senate special, there are many different things, but one of the things that makes the Senate special is, is the need to work in that fashion and the rules that protect the minority. In the House, you're in the minority, go get some coffee until the next election. Jennifer, I believe Dick Durbin describes the Senate as the saucer that cools the hot 
liquid of the house. I think that goes back to like one of the founding fathers. Yes. Or it might be just apocryphal and uh, somebody made it up in like the <laughs> 1900s. But it is a very, very old saying. And that's and that's part, there are different components to that, but that's part of the process, right? Things, things move more slowly. And Democrats, a lot of Democrats, um, by the way, had a sick feeling about it. Um, especially the older members who have respect for the way the Senate works mm-hmm. and its traditions, didn't want to do it. Uh, Harry Reid held them together. They voted to change the rule. The way you do that, the way you pull the nuclear option is actually quite dramatic. It's not just saying, hey, we're going to vote to change the rules. You have to have this process where you say, okay, we are going to vote just with a simple majority to pass a nomination. And then the minority party says, no, no, that's against the Senate rules. Then the majority party appeals to the parliamentarian. The parliamentarian consults the rules, says, yeah, that's against the rules. And then they move to say, I'm going to overturn the ruling of the parliamentarian. And then they have a simple majority vote to overrule the parliamentarian. It's chaotic because if you can just overrule the parliamentarian, mm-hmm. you've basically overthrown the referee. There's no referee. It is an actually very dramatic moment because you realize if you can do it for one thing, you can do it for anything. I just want to pause you because it sounds like what you've told me is that the 2013 change pushed through by Harry Reid applied to things other than the Supreme Court. Nominees, it, not legislation. Yep. Nominees um, that need Senate confirmation other than the Supreme Court. Rule change will make cloture for all nominations other than the Supreme Court a majority threshold vote. Yes or no? The Senate is a living thing, and to survive it must change as it has over the history of this great country. And that now sounds like foreshadowing in a way, the fact that it excluded well, the certain, Supreme Court. That's another thing that is being quoted a lot now that Mitch McConnell said. He said, You want to play games, set yet another precedent that you'll no doubt come to regret. Say to my friends on the other side of the aisle, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. Right, because the idea was that the Supreme Court, these are lifetime appointments to the highest court of the land. They are so important, so valuable, that you would never, ever throw away uh, the rights of the minority on on a, a Supreme Court justice. Lo and behold, Four years later, less than four years later, we're going to about to do that. Okay, so Neil Gorsuch, the judge who is up for confirmation this week, how is this all coming to a head for him in the next few days? Well, so on Monday, he was confirmed by the Senate Judiciary Committee, and then he proceeds to the full floor of the Senate for his confirmation vote. But in the meantime, the now minority leader, Chuck Schumer of New York, has been talking to his Democratic colleagues and basically listening to the concerns of the very energized Democratic base um, who don't want to see Neil Gorsuch confirmed. They certainly don't want to see Democrats go along with it. He is encouraging them not only to vote against him, but to vote against this measure called cloture. Cutting off debate. That would cut off debate and, and deny them the 60 votes to move forward here. Okay. In the minds of these senators who are going to be voting on Neil Gorsuch. Is this a person worth this kind of ugliness? You're talking about Democrats? Both sides, but especially Democrats. Is he actually that divisive a figure, or is this not really about Neil Gorsuch at all? That's a good question, because if you look, Democrats really haven't been able to pin any particular controversy. They say, well, he has sided with corporations over people. But you certainly don't see any huge groundswell against Neil Gorsuch. This is really against Donald Trump. You talk to Democrats, you talk to Democratic activists, and this is about denying 
Donald Trump, quote unquote, an illegitimate president, any legitimate lifetime achievement. Yeah, I would agree. Neil Gorsuch is less about Neil Gorsuch. He's become a proxy for everything in Washington. He's become a proxy for the controversy over the Trump administration. He's a proxy for seven years of intense, bitter infighting. And Merrick Garland. And Merrick Garland. A, a quick a quick history of Merrick Garland. Quick history of Merrick Garland. Remember, uh, when Antonin Scalia died, which was now more than a year ago, President Obama had the enviable task of filling his third seat on the Supreme Court. And he had plenty of time to do it. And he nominated Merrick Garland. He was eminently qualified. He wasn't even considered very liberal. He was considered a moderate Democrat. Um, and Mitch McConnell said no. This vacancy should not be filled uh, by this lame duck president. The president of the United States in his final year in office during a presidential election does not get to nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice. Will you actually not meet with the nominee? Well, look, I don't know how many times we need to keep saying this. Um, The Judiciary Committee has unanimously recommended to me that there be no hearings. Uh, I've said repeatedly, and I'm now confident my conference agrees, that this decision ought to be made by the next uh, president, whoever is elected. He kind of made a new rule. I don't know the purpose of such a visit. I would not be inclined to take one myself. And for an entire year, the Senate not only wouldn't have a vote on Merrick Garland, they wouldn't even hold a hearing on Merrick Garland. And the bitterness that is still in the Senate over this, the bitterness among Democrats who feel like McConnell never got his comeuppance. He never got punished for Mm -hmm. this evil deed. And here he is. Finally, he gets rewarded for this terrible thing he did. And you can't understate how angry that makes Democrats. Okay. On Monday in the Senate, we heard a lot of lawmakers on both sides lamenting that this is the state of things in this country and in this government. Could both sides just stand down and do what we think government generally is supposed to do, which is a deal, avoid all these permanent changes. Is there any chance of that this week? You know, a a month ago, I might have said yes. Because remember, what was it? Um, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg got 98 votes. I mean, it is highly unusual for a very qualified judicial nominee to just squeak through, and certainly unprecedented, of course, in this case, to have to change the Senate rules to do it. So it's really a sign that deals just can't get done. I cannot vote solely to protect an institution when the rights of hardworking Americans are at risk. Because I fear that the Senate I would be defending no longer exists. Knowing all that we do now, what should we expect in the next four days. Everything will go as planned, meaning the Democrats will filibuster, the Republicans will change the rules, and Gorsuch will be approved? That would be, Michael, exactly what I would anticipate happening, Mm -hmm. that Neil Gorsuch will go through the Judiciary Committee on a partisan vote. He will then proceed to the Senate floor. There will be this fight over the filibuster. I think the Democrats will not give him the votes he needs to end debate. They will dramatically move to change the rules. That will be a crazy moment on the Senate floor. And by midnight on Friday, Neil Gorsuch will find himself confirmed for a seat in the Supreme Court. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jonathan. Indeed. Bye, guys. Bye. 41 votes are required to filibuster in the United States Senate. On Monday afternoon, 
Senate Democrats appear to secure those 41 votes needed to filibuster Neil Gorsuch. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Marquee TV, your streaming platform for the world's best dance, opera, theater, and music on demand. Marquee TV brings you the best performing arts content from around the world on all your favorite devices. This summer, internationally renowned dancer Carlos Acosta brings his groundbreaking Acosta Danza to Marquee TV, alongside performances from New York City Ballet principal dancer Tyler Peck, the Washington Ballet, and beautiful favorites from the Royal Opera House and La Scala. Visit marquee.tv to start streaming. Here's what else you need to know today. We agree on so many things. I just want to let everybody know, in case there was any doubt, that we are very much behind President el-Sisi. He's done a fantastic job in a very difficult situation. After being barred from the White House for the past four years, Egypt's president was welcomed there by President Trump on Monday. President Obama had refused to host Abdel Fattah al-Sisi after he seized power in a military takeover in 2013 and oversaw a security operation in which hundreds of protesters were gunned down in the streets of Cairo. We are very much behind Egypt and the people of Egypt. And the United States has, believe me, backing and we have strong backing. The visit represents a fundamental shift in foreign policy under the Trump administration, which has indicated its willingness to work with authoritarian regimes in the battle against international terrorism. And a bomb detonated on a subway car in St. Petersburg, Russia's second largest city on Monday, killing 11 and wounding more than 40 people. The blast occurred while Russian President Vladimir Putin was visiting St. Petersburg, Putin has said it was likely the work of terrorists. Finally, another woman with ties to Fox News has come forward with allegations of sexual harassment involving the network. Julie Riginski, a Fox News contributor and Democratic analyst. Julie, good to see you. Great to see you, Megan. You know, you were on the show really Julie Roginski, a current Fox News contributor, has filed a lawsuit claiming that she faced retaliation after turning down advances from the network's former chairman, Roger Ailes. Ailes departed Fox in June after several such allegations. And on yesterday's show, we told the story of the five settlements that have been paid out to resolve such allegations against Fox's biggest star, Bill O'Reilly. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. When times became uncertain, Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more.